What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, real-life Pokemons. We're visiting the world of pocket monsters again and showing how real-life animals can be even more incredible than a boring old Pikachu. We're talking about the real-life animal inspiration for Pokemon as well as animals that should be in the next generation of Pokemon. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, who's got the most boopable snoot? Joining me today is the co-host of Just the Zoo of Us, an amazing animal podcast that rates and reviews animals, just like you should rate and review our podcasts. I'm so excited for this animal podcast crossover event. Welcome, Ellen Weatherford. Welcome! Thanks, Katie. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm so excited. It's about time we joined Animal Forces to bring to the world our both our animal knowledge and Pokemon knowledge, which I have to admit, I'm not the biggest Pokemon expert. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I have played all the generations, and I think that counts for something. <laughs> I think that makes you an expert as as far as I can see, because for me, I don't know if I can tell a Pikachu from, you know, from a Jigglypuff, or a Jigglypuff <laughs> from a, from a Rattatat, you know? So Listen, you got three Pokemon names right then. So like, you're already pulling ahead of some I people. I think I'm Charizard <laughs> is one of them. That, that was a great try. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I started playing um, when I was five years old when my mom got me for Christmas a purple transparent Game Boy Color 
and Pokemon Gold version. Um, so I started, which was the second generation of Pokemon games. So I started there, and I've played every generation ever since. So it's we we go way back, me and Pokemon. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I got bootleg versions of video games on floppy disks that I played on our our personal <laughs> computer. And one of them was sort of like kind of a Pokemon clone, but you raised like slug monsters. So, you know, that's slug my monsters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's my that's kind cool. of background. Uh, but no, I do. I do love Pokemon. I, I played the the Pokemon Pokemon Go for a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, when that was a thing and people were walking into traffic to get those Pokemon. And, you know, I, I love the little guys. They're adorable. And But the biggest thing that I love about them is that a lot of them seem to be based on really whimsical versions of real-life animals. And all the fun kind of... I feel like it trains kids to think in terms of a biologist, right? They're like sort of this... Uh, there's like a phylogeny. There, You have different clades of Pokemon, water types, <laughs> bug types. You have these abilities and you have their their behaviors. And so I love that about the whole Pokemon universe. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, kind of the origin story of Pokemon was that the creator of Pokemon, I believe it was Satoshi Tajiri, um, created Pokemon out of a childhood spent collecting bugs outside <laughs> like just outside in nature collecting bugs and he was just so inspired by his passion for nature and bugs that he kind of combined that with this like very imaginative world building and and developed pokemon from it so like yeah it has its roots in you know entomology and naturalism and biology so you can see so much of that play out in the world of Pokemon. Like some of them actually, there's actually like ecology plays into it. Like <laughs> in some of my notes, like some of the aspects of the actual real life animal play out in actual game mechanics, which is really interesting. Um, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that were inspired to begin, like lay the groundwork for a, an actual career in biology and zoology being inspired by playing Pokemon as a kid. Like, it That's really amazing. does work. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, because it gives you this appreciation for biodiversity. Even though it's a whimsical, made-up biodiversity, It, I think that it turns on that part of the brain that's like, oh, man, I just love, you know, a, you got to catch them all. You got to classify them all, <laughs> discover everything. Uh, of course, real life biologists are not trying to catch all of the animals, but they are trying to uh, classify and learn about all the animals. And certainly not getting their subject species to battle against each other. <laughs> Typically, no. <laughs> no, it's frowned upon. <laughs> Poor Typically, ethics. Typically, <laughs> that, is, that is not the case. Um, but yeah, so what we're going to do is that I'm going to talk about an animal that I think should be a Pokemon. Now, I don't really... Like I said, I am not a Pokeologist, so I don't know all the Pokemon. So there could be a Pokemon that is similar. But still, these are the animals that I think are like real life Pokemon and definitely should be in the next generation of Pokemon. And then Ellen is going to tell me about a Pokemon that has a real life animal counterpart or inspiration. So I am so excited. Me too. This is going to be great. So I want to start off with 
one of my favorite animals uh, because it is just the goofiest, doofiest, weirdest, ugliest, and cutest turtle in the world. I already love turtles. They appeal to my intrinsic desire to curl up into a little shell and yell at people from the safety of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so these are found in the Amazon basin. It is a freshwater aquatic turtle. And so now this is a podcast and it is an audio medium, but it's hard to even have words do justice to this turtle. Mm -hmm. So this is the Mata Mata turtle. I love this turtle. <laughs> yes. You got to look at it. You got to Google it. If you're driving, safely pull over to the side of the road and Google it. <laughs> I will try my best to describe it, but I highly suggest you look up Mata Mata turtle. It'll also be in the show notes, a lot of pictures of it, because it is one of the most Jim Henson Pokemon looking animals in the natural world, it's amazing. It'll fill you, it fills me up with warm feelings. They have contagious bliss. Yeah, it's like a super <laughs> weird looking animal and it's kind of ugly cute, but it's one of those ugly cutes where it makes you happy. Kind of like, you know how like Stitch <laughs> is like kind of a scary cute thing. He's got all these teeth and stuff. And this is like a, this is like an ugly cute and it just makes me happy. So all right, I'm going to take a real a real shot at describing this. So first, you know, visualize a turtle, like an aquatic turtle. You know, it's got webbed feet, lives in the water. So you're going to want to run it over with a steamroller. It's an imaginary <laughs> steamroller, so we're not actually hurting any real turtles. Uh, but yes, so you flatten it. You've turned this turtle into sort of a turtle pancake. And then now you stretch out its neck and you give that neck some leaf-like frills on the sides. Uh, its head is a triangle. We're going to want that head to be a triangle. And we're going to want to glue a leaf to the top of its head. So are you with me so <laughs> a dead far? Leaf. <laughs> a dead leaf. That is important. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, and its shell is, is sort of a, a chunk of bark. Let's say that. So we're almost there, but you got to take its nostrils, stretch those out as well, kind of extrude those, make them long, flexible tubes like a pig snout that's stretched out. And, and pointy. It's like really, pointy. really thin. It's very thin. It's like a spaghetti pig nose. So <laughs> <laughs> one of its most important features, both in terms of its diet and behavior, as well as the most important feature to me is its mouth. I know the saying is eyes are the window into the soul, but in this case, the mouth to me is the window into the heart. Does that make sense? The door, <laughs> the mouth is the gaping doorway into the heart. So it's a very wide mouth. It has a big mouth. When it's closed, it looks like the world's most cartoonishly goofy, wide smile, like it's thinking about a joke it wants to tell you. <laughs> I was thinking it looks like it's not thinking anything at all. This is truly like no thoughts, head empty turtle. Yeah, no thoughts, pure bliss. <laughs> when it's open, the mouth, it looks like it's laughing too hard at its own joke or just the emptiness in its brain has made it, it is funny to it. And so it started laughing. Uh, it also just has these beady little eyes that are heavily lidded, making it look 
really just completely out of it. It's like you take the heavy lidded Garfield eyes, but make them small and beady. And it's, yeah, I think you're getting the can, idea. Can I tell you what vibe I get from the Mata Mata turtle? Like looking at a picture yes. of it. Did you ever watch the cartoon Jimmy Neutron in like the uh, early yes. 2000s? Yeah, I remember Do you remember that Carl show. from Jimmy Neutron? Carl! Yeah, I remember Carl. <laughs> That's the exact energy that I get from the Mata Mata Turtle. Yeah. Is Carl Weezer from Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, I remember Carl Weezer and his obsession with llamas. That was a... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a... I feel like that was a... That show was ahead of its time. That was a good show. Truly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Carl Weezer. I love that Carl Weezer was like the nerd stereotype, but he was dumb as heck. Like, really not very smart. <laughs> Um, to- <laughs> which is like great for like sort of the stereotype, like nerds equal smart. Like no nerds could equal someone not very smart, but who loves llamas. You know what I mean? Right. It's more of a passion thing than it yeah. is a knowledge thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It is like the Carl Weezer of turtles. I think so, at least. <laughs> but it's got more dangly bits on its face than I remember Carl Weezer having. It's got barbels. <laughs> So the whisker of a catfish, uh, but rather than being long whiskers, the Mata Mata has these stubby, nubby little barbels. Uh, it's got three on its chin and four more on its jaw. So just doohickeys here and there, hither and thither. <laughs> just, just little flappy bits. Just flappy bits, little, little dongles. So <laughs> in terms of size, the turtle is about 37 inches long or 95 centimeters and can weigh up to around 45 pounds or 20 kilograms. So it is not little. It's kind of big. It's, it's an absolute unit. That's a it big is. turtle. Yeah, yeah. It is solidly, its presence is solid and profound. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so its feet are webbed for swimming, like I mentioned earlier. And it uses its weird leaf-like frills and ridged bark-looking shell to blend in with vegetation and to lay in wait for some poor unsuspecting fish. When the fish gets close enough, the turtle uses its mouth like a vacuum and just suddenly snaps its mouth open really wide, which creates this um, cavitation in the water, so it creates this suction and just vacuums up this vacuums up this unsuspecting fish, then snaps its mouth closed, swallows the fish whole, and then resumes having that dumb little smile on its face. Uh, very uh, kind of terrifying in a way because it seems like really happy and dumb and silly. Um, That's the hustle, right? Just like a kind of Winnie the Pooh, but then just opens up its mouth wide and swallows a fish whole. And it cannot chew. Its cranial anatomy is too weird to allow it to chew. It, in fact, just swallows things whole instead. Like a shark, but it's way cuter. I mean, I think <laughs> sharks are cute, but this, yeah. Sharks don't oh, have, yeah. sharks don't have a goofy smile you know, like they've got a dad joke just sort of um, waiting in the wings. Well, I would yeah. think of the whale shark. Yeah, okay, for, that's true. Like a whale shark with sharks, a big goofy smile. Yes, whale sharks do have a goofy, sh- goofy smile. I also think goblin sharks have a pretty goofy smile. Mm. There's, it's a scarier goofy, but it's sort of more yeah. like a Mister Burns smile. <laughs> but 
It's still a little goofy. Say that like smile was not the the is not a word that I associate with a goblin's shark. (laughs) (laughs) A grin. (laughs) Okay. All right. I can see that. I can see that. I feel like the Mata Mata has made a lot of sacrifices for that smile, though. (laughs) It has it's sacrificed its ability to chew and any sort of fear you could have of it. I mean, <laughs> that's true. They've lost their intimidation factor completely. I mean, look at that face. It looks like it's got an an ear to ear smile, and then this long, uh, thin pig nose, and these. It's just the most ridiculous looking thing. We may feel very differently about it if we were perhaps small fish that might be on their menu. That to them, maybe this is like yeah. the most terrifying thing you can imagine. I feel like there'd be a lot of things I would feel differently about if I was a small fish, namely toilets. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the idea of the Mata Mata is that you shouldn't be seeing it anyway until it's too late, right? So you can't be deceived by the smile. Like It's a pile of very doofy looking leaves until it opens its mouth (laughs) and you realize, hey, those aren't some exceptionally dumb looking dead leaves that's an exceptionally dumb looking <laughs> turtle <laughs> now and, and it only looks dumb it's not that dumb in real life it's just that's the I way mean, it looks to us i mean i don't think it's it, that smart yeah. you know can we judge it i don't th- like have any t- evidence to back it up <laughs> can we, it's all it's all about how you define smartness right like if smartness mm-hmm. is the ability to like do complex puzzle solving or you know have some kind of language or something maybe it's not you know but if your definition of smartness is having a weird mating dance it does then this one's yeah because it has a really weird mating dance uh, really? Ma- yeah. <laughs> so a male will seduce the female by thrusting out his head, neck, and limbs and by opening his mouth as wide as he can and then closing it repeatedly, sort of like some kind of weird Muppet mating dance. It'll <laughs> it'll keep thrusting its head and opening it mouth and opening its mouth like a deranged cuckoo clock, and if that doesn't have her swooning, it will also wiggle its head flaps. <laughs> that's I gotta say, that's how my husband uh, won me over. Yeah, it for him, you gotta wiggle your head flaps sometimes. Everyone out there, all you singles out there, wiggle the head flaps. Take notes. Wiggle the head flaps. <laughs> Always wiggle the head flaps. It's all in the head flaps. People don't give it enough credit, but no, no, that's they, what really drives them wild. They think things like a personality or a job or a passion that those are the kinds of things that people look for in a partner. No, head flaps. It it's head flaps actually. Wiggle them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's working for the turtle, it must work for me. <laughs> I I, th- I think we yeah. I think it's hubris to think that these are not universally applicable uh, flirtation methods. But Ellen, what do you think? Do you think that this animal is worthy of being a Pokemon? Or should I say, are Pokemon worthy of being this animal? (laughs) I will say yes. And I also want to add that there there is a Pokemon (gasps) that is at least visually 
reminiscent tell of the me, Monty tell Python Tell me, tell me, tell me now. I need to see it, it is, now. It is called Turtonator, <laughs> which is... Which is, I will say, the goofiest Pokemon name. So at least they did keep the energy in naming it Turtonator. Oh my god. Um, now, it is a fire and dragon type Pokemon. Um, it lives in volcanic craters and camouflages itself as a rock. And it has more of like a volcanic look to it. So it has these kind of like spikes that look like rocks jutting out of lava. It kind of looks like a cartoon bomb, I think. Um, so as far as similarities to the Mata Mata, I really think it begins and ends with just the way it looks because it has like that flat head, it has yeah. the tube nose, and it has some kind of like jagged appearance. So like I don't think it shares a lot else with the Mata Mata other than just kind of, like some general appearance things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's at, it at least looks like a Mata Mata. So it's I think it's as close as you're going to get to a Mata Mata turtle. Yeah. Or to a Mata Mata Pokemon. Um, I would love it if they took another stab at the Mata Mata and made one that was a little bit more like aligned with the actual Pokemon. But I do admire the creativity that they took with this with Turtonator. I've never used yeah. a Turtonator on my team <laughs> because I personally I don't love the way that they look. I admire that it is cool and creative, but it's not my aesthetic. And my team building strategy is 100% aesthetic based. So <laughs> was not did not fit into my team vision at the time. <laughs> the Pokemon I collect are based on cuteness factor. Um, 100%. Yeah. It is based solely on how they look. Yeah, this is I this is giving me Mata Mata, uh, but it's also giving me a little bit of Homestar Runner. <laughs> sort of like if you fuse the two. Uh yeah, no, I can see I can see this being the Mata Mata, but I think we do need another one. We need one that it's got it's leaf based and one that really emphasizes that smile. That yeah, really for sure. There's smile. like thirty salamander Pokemon, so I think we can make room for another Mata Mata. I think we can. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that can be arranged. Someone give me, call up Nintendo or, or you know, Mr. Pokemon, Mr. Pokemon. Pokemon Company, my inbox is open at all times. <laughs> DM me, please. Dear, dear Mario, I have noticed a problem with your, with your video game Pokemon. <laughs> dear Mr. Super Mario. Dear Mr. Super Nintendo Chalmers. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so so I think we can have another Mata Mata. Uh, I yeah, and give them another chance. Yeah, bigger smile, more face dongles, and elite head. <laughs> Thank you in advance. Thanks. In advance. It would be cool if it was a water type. Yeah, I think. yeah. I mean, I mean volcan- a, a fire type's cool too, but still. Yeah, yeah, no. It's uh, it lives in the Amazon uh, rivers, freshwater rivers. So you know. There you go. And then every time it like defeats a defeats a Pokemon, should like donate uh, fifty cents to the Amazon. You know, <gasps> I would love it if they made some sort of like Pokemon game like for a cause. Oh my yeah. gosh, that would be so cool! Can you imagine? That would be cool. Again, That'd be amazing Pokemon Company <laughs> inbox us. Yeah, dialing Mister Luigi Mario. Slide into know. those DMs. <laughs> so, Ellen. <laughs> Uh, you have some Pokemon to tell me about. Uh, can you tell I me do. about a Pokemon and 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 teach me, teach me the ways of the Pokemon and the real life animal that it 
has gained inspiration from? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm bringing one that I feel is particularly relevant right now. This is Garchomp. Garchomp is a ground and dragon type Pokemon that was introduced in the fourth generation of Pokemon games. Those ge- those games were Diamond, Pearl, and the sequel, Platinum. So I really wanted to talk about this right now be- in honor of Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which are the remakes of those fourth generation games. So they like reworked the whole game top to bottom, gave them fresh, fresh graphics because Pearl... Diamond and Pearl came out on the Nintendo DS, so these this, these games just came out for the Switch. Um, so Garchomp first appeared in the Diamond and Pearl games on the DS. They were or Garchomp was infamously on the team of Champion Cynthia, the champion of the game. Sorry if this is a spoiler if you haven't played it. I don't think it's a spoiler, um, <laughs> but Cynthia, famously the champion that you beat, like at, that you have, that you have to battle at the end of the game. Uh, getting like completely wrecked by Cynthia's Garchomp is like a rite of passage for Pokemon players. Like she, it's just famously so incredibly difficult to beat her. It's like they just really cranked the difficulty up on Cynthia's Garchomp in particular. It's like so incredibly vicious. So I know a lot of people are playing the Diamond and Pearl remakes right now. A lot of people are probably reliving that trauma of having been <laughs> completely obliterated by Cynthia's Garchomp. So I wanted to talk about it. It had Garchomp black today. eyes, like a doll's eyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like I, I know a lot of people are uh, are are processing that still. Like I, I saw a tweet the other day that was like <laughs> getting getting destroyed by Cynthia's Garchomp like I'm nine years old all over again. <laughs> So I think a lot of I think it'll resonate with a lot of people right now if you are a, a longtime Pokemon player or if you're new to the series, you know, there's a remake out now. So you you might be getting familiar with Garchomp right now. Yeah, and um, I'm looking at this guy and it is intimidating. It's like yes. half shark, half pterodactyl with a lot of spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very cool looking Pokemon, very edgy, very sinister looking. Garchomp is a dragon. And it is is a ground and dragon type, but it's based on a hammerhead shark. Yeah. Which I think is really, really interesting. I like when Pokemon does this, kind of like with Turtonator, where it takes a Pokemon and, like, redesigns it, but removes it from, like, its original context in real life and, like, reworks Mm -hmm. it to be, like, in a different biome. So this is, like, a hammerhead shark for the desert, which I think is really cool. But Garchomp's design incorporates what I think are some really interesting features of the hammerhead shark. So most notably, like you look at Garchomp and you can see that it has this head that has these two lobes on either side of its head that really resemble that iconic hammer-shaped head of the hammerhead shark. But the structure on the hammerhead shark has a name. It's called a cephalofoil. Have you talked about cephalofoils before? I have not. Let's do it. It's so cool. (laughs) So the cephalofoil is... So there are lots of hammerhead sharks, by the way. There's not like one species of hammerhead shark. Yeah. They can be really, really big. Like, I think it's the scalloped hammerhead shark is maybe the biggest hammerhead. Yeah, and that's, um, the, that's the one with those, like, sensory bumps on the front. 
of the hammerhead. Yeah. It's called the scalloped hammerhead because the front edge of yes. their cephalofoil has those sort of bumps on it, like you said. And then there's little ones. There's like the bonnet head, which are really common. In <laughs> like where a little I baby. <laughs> it is. It looks like a baby hammerhead. In fact, a lot of times fishers will fishermen will catch a bonnet head and mistake it for a baby hammerhead. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, I caught this baby hammerhead, but it's actually a bonnet head. That actually happened to us one time. We were um, walking along the beach and we found a uh, bonnet, a dead bonnet head on the Aww. sand. And we thought it was a baby hammerhead, but it was a bonnet head. They're really little and they have like a small little cephalofoil and they're actually omnivorous, which I think is interesting. It's a shark that eats plants. I don't think that's a super common thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, it anyway, isn't. there's a... a yeah, so there's a lot of different hammerhead sharks and that cephalofoils can kind of change depending on which one you're looking at. Some of them have really long, exaggerated ones. Like there's one that's called the winghead shark where it's just like super cranked up. The thing goes like it's completely like T-shaped. Uh, the the winghead, I think, has the most exaggerated one. Um, but, for you know, they all kind of follow the same general plan of it being like this sort of T-shaped um, head. Yes. So... The advantages it gives to the shark are really interesting. First of all, it really buffs up their field of view. They have that those eyeballs located on either one of these lobes, sort of like yeah. Uh, so it's it's not these aren't just like decorative. They actually house the eyeball, and so they're looking in one direction and then an entirely different direction. Yeah, so with their eyes being like at the ends of those lobes, they can see in 360 degrees all around them. They can see in 360 degrees all around them, but they also have this really, really big overlap between what their left eye and their right eye can see. So there's like this very large point in the middle of their vision where it's called, I think it's called binocular overlap. Mm-hmm. So in the winghead shark, like I mentioned, that has this really exaggerated cephalofoil, they have up to 48 degrees of overlap between their left and right eye. So what that's really, really good for is depth perception. So like, you know how like if you cover one eye and then you cover the other eye, what you can see kind of changes a little bit because of the angle. And that's what lets you perceive depth. Um, so for hammerhead sharks, they have really dramatic depth perception. So they're really good at seeing how far away things are. So it's really good for their eyesight. Another thing the cephalofoil helps them with is that that whole thing, like you mentioned, is lined with electroreceptors. So the the edge of their cephalofoil is lined with these sensory cells that can detect magnetic fields. A lot of sharks, a lot of fish really in general have electroreceptors. And what's this, what it's really good for for hammerheads is that it makes them really sensitive to the movements of prey that might be hiding under the sand. So a lot of the prey that they're looking for is things like stingrays or flatfish or all sorts of little things like goosefish and stuff like that that might be burrowed under the sand. So if you're swimming over them, looking for them, only using your eyes, you're not going to see them and you're going to miss them. But the hammerhead shark can detect their movements. It can even sense things like heartbeats, mm -hmm. right? Like you can't hide yeah. that. <laughs> right, because your heart your heart sends out an electrical uh, pulse every time it beats, like the, this mm -hmm. electrical rhythm of, of, your, of the chambers of your heart. That's why when the heart is out of rhythm, uh, you use sort of a little bit of electricity to get it back in rhythm with, uh, with you know the the shock paddles with a with a defibrillator. 
Yeah. So the you, you can't disguise that, right? You right. can't like make your heart stop beating so the hammerhead can uh, can detect even totally hidden prey. And then once it does detect that prey, it can use the cephalofoil as a weapon. So it can actually pin prey down to the sand and immobilize it so that it can eat it. Or if it's hunting something like a stingray or a flatfish that's like down flat against the bottom, they can wedge the cephalofoil underneath the prey and flip it over. Like yeah, a it's pancake. like a big, it's like a spatula. Spatula. Head. It is. It's, they use it like a big spatula to flip the, they should the prey over. They should be called spatula head sharks instead of hammerheads because <laughs> they don't use them as a hammer. They use it as a spatula. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I also have never really seen a hammer shaped like that, you know? Like, the hammers I've used have only ever had, like, you know, a blunt end and then kind of like a curved end, and it doesn't really look like a hammer. But, oh, well, I didn't call them that, so <laughs> that's, that's Maybe an old-timey uh... hammer, maybe an old-timey hammer that it didn't have that curved back bit, bit where you, like, pull out the nails, but just, like, the two hammers on each end. Uh, Maybe. But yeah. <laughs> Like a ball peen uh, hammer that's been flattened out. I don't really know. I'm not a tools I, person. I was about to say, like, I'm the wrong person to be talking to about what tools look like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not handy. I'm sorry. Um, I'm handy, but, yeah, but so I, this... I just don't bother learning the names of anything. I'm like, just give me the oh, small like, one yeah. and then the twisty one and the U-shaped the one. The turny bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel it. Um, so yeah, I, I think the cephalofoil is a really interesting thing to be including on, on Garchomp. It's identifiable. You look at it, you know exactly what it is. And also on Gar on Garchomp, they made the lobes kind of look almost like jet engines. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. It's like incorporating some like jet plane elements into the design. Now I do notice that it's, it's eyes are not on the cephalofoil though. They are sort of, yeah. you know. I think they were doing that to make it look more like a cool dragon. Yeah. I imagine if they put the eyes on the cephalofoil, they probably tried it because I know a lot of times like Pokemon go through a few drafts of the design before they, you know, reach what, what you see in the game. So if I had to guess, they probably tried it. Like they, there are probably some old like deleted drafts of Garchomp with the eyes like on the sides. Um, mm -hmm. And it probably looked pretty goofy and they decided not to do that. <laughs> I, I think there's Which probably also fine. an early draft of Garchomp where it's just like Garfield as a dragon chomping on Definitely, stuff. Definitely, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> primarily praise on lasagna. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so aside from the cephalofoil, you know, it has some other shark elements. It's got that like identifiable, that vertically aligned fin. Um, it has the dorsal fin and the pectoral fins that let you really know it's supposed to be based on a shark. Um, but it has something on its design that I think is a nod to the shark inspiration in a really interesting way. So you see how it has all these little white spikes all over its yes. body, like yes. on its arms and legs, it has these white spikes. So those white spikes look exactly like its teeth. Like mm -hmm. it looks like you copied and pasted the teeth from its mouth onto its body. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a reference to shark's skin, yes. which is covered in yes. tiny scales called yeah. dermal denticles. Yes, denticles. Have you talked about these? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Not yes. tentacles with a T. Denticles, yes, yes. <laughs> denticles oh. like a dentist. Yes, the tiny, the tiny skin teeth that we know and love. Yeah. Yes, skin teeth. So if, you, if you're not already familiar with what skin teeth are, if you're a, a more recent listener, um, these are these skin teeth are 
really built just like the teeth inside of the shark's mouth. They have an inner layer of pulp and nerves and then an outer layer made of dentine. Um, They're just much smaller (laughs) and they grow all over the body pointing towards the tail. Um, This gives sharks a really distinct texture. I should also say this is not specific to the hammerhead shark. No, this this is like all sharks are built like this. This is all sharks. Yes. Um, So it gives sharks a really distinct texture. Have you ever touched a shark before? I haven't. I've touched a ray before, and I think they have a similar dentical situation, but it's like, it's rough. So on a shark, if you start with the head and move your hand towards their tail, it feels really smooth, like a like a ray or like a dolphin or something like that. But if you start with the tail and you move your hand towards the head, it feels sandpapery. It feels really rough. Mm-hmm. So the texture changes based on what direction you're feeling. And that's because those denticles are all pointing towards the tail. So this helps them by reducing their drag in the water, and it helps them swim faster. It's really good for aerodynamic, uh, hydrodynamic, I should say, like swimming. And I know that I was talking to some shark scientists, and they mentioned that this uh, shark skin, like scale sort of thing has been used in the development of wetsuits for athletic swimmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that they've like used this like, sort of scaly design to reduce drag for Olympic swimmers, which I think is just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I like it when we borrow things from animals. Like we look at things like gecko um, pads and they're like, oh, this is this takes advantage of physics that is really hard for us to achieve. And so then we we look to these amazing physical aspects of animals and then yeah. you know steal it as long as we're not skinning the sharks and wearing them as as wetsuits. Right. <laughs> I don't think you would want to do that. Um I mean they've got it figured out, right? So might as well copy what they're doing. Um this also is I think why Garchomp is incredibly fast in the game. It has a pretty high speed stat and the Pokedex entries describe Garchomp as having speeds rivaling those of a jet plane. Wow. Um, it flies rather than swimming because it does live in the desert, not in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is this goes back to something I said earlier. The dermal denticles actually factor into in-game battle mechanics. Huh. So if you are battling with or against a Garchomp, Garchomp can have a passive ability called rough skin. Oh. And in battle, this damages opponents who make physical contact with it. So if you use an attack against a Garchomp that actually physically contacts the Garchomp, so like tackle might be an example of one, then it that will actually do damage to you. Nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, I like not that. Not all the time. Like they can. Ha- it's one of. Uh, of more than one possible passive abilities it can have. But I just think that's a really cool nod yeah. to like actual shark uh, biology yeah, that, that they have that rough skin. Very cool. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I did look it up and, and rays and skates actually do have the denticles. So it's the same situation. You pet them in one direction oh, cool. and it's really smooth. But then you get that you go the other way and it feels rough. Uh, oh, that's like a, so neat! You know, kind of like a cat tongue. Yeah, yeah, which... that's so cool. I've, I've I've like done little stingray touch tanks before. Yeah. Um, you've and just like, been petting yeah, them the right way. Me. I mean, <laughs> the way they tell you to. <laughs> yeah, there's such. You a haven't vigorously guy. rubbed a, a ray like. 
No, I'm a I'm a very lawful good sort of rule follower, like you know, doing the the two finger, you yeah. know, only pet in one direction sort of. Thing. I think that's <laughs> probably for the best uh, to do in a touch tank because those poor things are probably stressed out enough as it is. No, I'm just trying to give them a good time. It's okay. I'm yeah. just trying to be respectful of their space. <laughs> But yeah, that's a, that's Garchomp. I mean, I think he's I a cool it. guy. <laughs> he's he is a cool, cool guy. I remember, I remember uh, you know, training one up when I was playing Pearl version when I was younger. And um, it took a thousand years because they are, hmm. they take forever to train. But it's worth it. They're, they're super strong and a great Pokemon to have on your team if you can catch one. And you can also use them to help sand down, um, you know, woodworking projects uh, with those denticles. So they're functional. Exactly. <laughs> Multi-purpose Garchomp. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients their products have no seed oils fillers or artificial nonsense it's just pure goodness in every pouch try them out and actually feel the difference today visit symbiotica.com and use code iheart for 15 percent off plus free shipping on your subscription order again that's 15 percent off plus free shipping on your subscription order go to symbiotica.com that's c-y-m-b-i-o-t-i-k-a.com so we've talked about the mata mata turtle who should be a Pokemon and maybe even is with the what was it? Turtletron? Turtonator. Turtonator. Turtletron? <laughs> that absolutely should be the name. <laughs> yes. I mean Turtlenator is pretty good too. Um and then we've talked about the Garchomp, the hammerhead shark inspired Pokemon with uh denticles on its skin. And now I want to nominate another animal that I think should be a Pokemon, or if it is already a Pokemon, I want to know about it. And this is the Cuscus of Northern Australia and New Guinea. So they you know are that name by me one more time. Cuscus, C U S C U S. Wow. So they are 
a marsupial. Uh, and as we all know, marsupials get really weird. <laughs> they are <laughs> strange animals. Uh, and so for the Cuscus, they all look incredible. So there are different species, um, but they all basically look like if you took a chameleon and gave it fur. So, oh, sure, yeah. I yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah. So they have this long prehensile tail that when they are not using it to grab tree branches, they curl it under them chameleon style. And further adding to that sort of weird reptile effect is that the bottom side of the tail does not have fur. It is sort of this pink rough texture. It's got these rough bumps on it. And that scale-like texture of the underside of the tail helps it to grip branches and even food like leaves, fruit, flowers, small animals, <laughs> eggs, so that it can be very opportunistic with its food and grab things. So uh, let, let's get into some more general information about the Cuscus. So it has, it, it is arboreal, it is tree dwelling, thus the importance of these chameleon-like features. Because when you, th whenever there are traits in one animal that are similar to traits in a completely unrelated animal, right? Like chameleons, reptiles, cuscus is a marsupial, totally different evolutionary paths. But we see these similar features like these opposable digits. So they have these two opposable digits on their hands, just similar, very similar to those digits on a chameleon so that they can grab tree branches. And it has these big bulging eyes, again, kind of similar to a chameleon with snake-like slits uh, that they can use to see in low light conditions and then constrict in high light conditions. So they're about the size of a house cat. Some species are a little smaller. Some species are a little bigger. There are a few different species all having so sort of different range of coat colorations. So the biggest is the bear cuscus, which is the most intimidating looking of the cuscuses. Uh, it has this dark gray fur and then these like sort of yellowish irises, black pupils, and then black sclera around the eyes that make them look kind of haunted and intimidating, but they are just herbivores. Although... It is true they'll sometimes grab a little animal and pop it in their mouth just to give it a shot. Uh, so, mm. so they will they will hunt. Uh, they're opportunistic. Is this the one that you've got a picture of here? That's like the gray one at the end. Let's see. Yeah, probably. It's the solid. Uh, yes, that one. That guy. Do you think? Is this in your notes anywhere? Do you think that this could be the origin of the drop bear uh, <laughs> mythos? Have you heard of this? <laughs> yeah, so the drop bear is the Australian legend of uh, some kind of terrifying bear dropping out of the trees and mauling you. I thought the origin of that is just like, that is sort of, it's like co an irate koala that they... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at him like, if you described a drop bear to me, I would imagine this dude right here. <laughs> the only problem is I'm not sure... 
this one is in Australia or if it's just in New Guinea uh, or oh, in Indonesia. So this one is actually only found in Indonesia. So it can't be a drop oh, wow. bear. <laughs> okay. It's ruled out as the possible drop bear candidate. Right. Although maybe one of them like floated over to Australia, like on a raft of coconuts or something. And then, you know, a rogue one. (laughs) (laughs) So there are other species of cuscus, all adorable and strange in their own ways. There is the black spotted cuscus that looks like a Dalmatian with a red face and a long curly tail. And there is the common spotted cuscus that has these reddish-brown spots and sort of an orange face. And then there are white cuscuses, but the white cuscus is not a different species of cuscus from the common spotted cuscus. They are females. So female cuscuses do not have spots, whereas the males do. So the females are usually a solid color, either all white or a creamy color or kind of grayish. The females also, because they are marsupials, they do have a pouch where their young can stay while nursing. So while they are absolutely adorable looking, they are very pugnacious. They're not they are ready Ooh. ready to get into a Pokemon fight. So males often <laughs> fight with each other for territory and they are solitary animals. They're ready to throw down at a moment's notice. They are ready to... on site. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so they're one of the most bizarre-looking marsupials, most bizarre-looking mammals, in my opinion. It it really does look to me like someone crossed a chameleon with a mammal, and then you came up with this this animal, and it's... it's, But it is absolutely adorable in a very weird way. It is so cute. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like other mammals that have that like prehensile tail and all I'm coming up with are like certain types of monkeys, right? Possums like, do. Possums do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can you know what, now that you say that, I am seeing some similarity, some family resemblance between right. this guy and our opossums. Yeah, and both opossums and possums are like the uh North American uh opossums and the Australian possums are um, marsupials. In fact, they are the only marsupial found in uh, North America. I love them so much. They're They're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) They're my pals. (laughs) I do, now that you say that, this guy does look like, and please don't at me about this, this might (laughs) ruffle some feathers, but I think this is a cuter opossum. Like, this is cuter than the opossum. Now, are we talking about Sorry, the the American opossum, or are we talking about the yeah the Virginia opossum, as I think it is called? It's it's not the cutest thing in the world. I mean, I think they're cute. I think they're but cute. But I'm too. looking at what you have, the picture you have of the the spotted cuscus, and I I really it would have to go to this one in the aesthetics yeah. department. As as much as I love opossums, as well as as the possums just p-o-s-s-u-m found in australia mm-hmm. uh, another marsupial uh yeah I, I these guys have stolen my heart they've stolen me away I see from it. it's just they're <laughs> just so because i love chameleons right 
And then mm-hmm. if you're if you were like to tell me what's the one feature of a chameleon you don't like, and I'm like not fluffy enough, can't pet it, <laughs> and so you add the fur to it, and it's like you've done it. Now, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the cuscus cannot move its eyes independently like a chameleon can. So that would be would my like one improvement. Uh, would be to have those independently moving, cool telescoping eyes. But no, it doesn't have that. But yeah, it is It is absolutely adorable and strange and functional. Like this tail, it can use to climb, can use to grab things. And same with its little hands. It's little weirdly almost, you know, too close to being human-like hands. <laughs> and it's not a primate, which is always throws me for a loop when they have the little graspy hands. Like with with uh, with opossums or with raccoons, it's like you're not a primate. What are you doing with your little hands? Your little functional hands? <laughs> like, what are you even? Go- what are you even? You're not doing homework with that, right? Like you can't, you're not holding pencils. Yeah, you're not texting. <laughs> you cannot God. tweet with those thumbs. <laughs> that would be if I saw one of these things with like a little tiny cell phone tweeting like. Just angrily tweeting the show like, well, actually, yes, in fact, I do. (laughs) I have a TikTok, too. Yeah. Oh, I bet they would, too. Yeah. You were mentioning their hands, and their hands actually do look like chameleon hands, too. How they have that kind of, like, split between the fingers. Yes. Yes, Yeah, it's just like chameleon hands. Yeah, yes. This, like, kind of... I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's, like, parallel evolution. They're not close enough for that but it it they have these features that are definitely very similar yeah i mean it makes sense right similar conditions they're both yeah. like living in trees climbing branches living in trees like, yep what works Dripping for one works things. for the other <laughs> these these guys do not eject their tongue and then hit prey with it but you know you should uh, give it a shot sometime sure <laughs> They should hang out and like sort of uh, brainstorm together because you yeah, know it seems notes. like a <laughs> seems like a good collab to me. Oh my gosh, can you imagine that crossover event? That'd be amazing. I, it's I can't. I I truly can't. <laughs> it's making me go cross-eyed. <laughs> Maybe we could get the the cuscus to get a, develop a nice cask. It would be the cuscus yeah. cask. Oh my god, a cask. We get <laughs> we put fur like the 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 chameleon gets fur, the cuscus gets a cask. It's this is gonna this is gonna work. We're we're all eventually going to become some amalgamation of cuscus, chameleon, and crab. I think is the ultimate the ultimate form. That's true. It's eventually going to wind up as a crab anyway, so why That's waste true. time? <laughs> but a fluffy crab. Oh, <laughs> Like a Yeti crab. Yeah, yeah, those actually exist. <laughs> I was going to say that I don't think that there is a Cuscus Pokemon, <gasps> um, but if there, if there was or if they made one, because I'm just saying, prime opportunity right here. Like, you know, this is definitely a great candidate for one. Right. I was thinking maybe it would be a yeah, it's right there, you guys. It would make a great like grass type, I think, because mm, it lives mm-hmm. in the trees. Yeah. So I think it would be a really cool grass type. That's my thought. Maybe a starter. This would be a great grass starter. And then you could have a move called tail grab where it grabs you with its weird bumpy tail. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just like aches you out a little bit. You're like, ooh. <laughs> so Ellen, tell me a story about another Pokemon. Okay, my second pick. 
pick for a Pokemon is a it's another ground and dragon type. Like hey. you can see, I have a I have a, a an aesthetic that I like. Um, but it's very, very different. This is a ground and dragon type introduced in the third generation of Pokemon games, which were Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, and it is called Flygon. There um, we go, yeah. Flygon is a real and I could not like I could not paint the full picture of Flygon without talking about the Pokemon that evolve into Flygon. Yeah. Um. So I included the whole like evolutionary line there. I'm looking at these little dudes. I'm looking at them mm-hmm. and I'm loving it. I'm really loving yeah. it. Yeah. And that's a, you one may thing... already see where I'm going with it if you're looking at the evolutionary line. <laughs> you're probably going to talk about this, but one thing that's interesting about Pokemon is like these stages, right? It, it, they call it like mm-hmm. it evolving. But it's more like a metamorphosis, right? And with yeah. with most animals, like uh, most mammals, you know, uh, birds, you kind of start out as like a smaller, more maybe more hairless and ugly looking version of the adult self. Of course, there are things that happen, you know, puberty um, and, and, <laughs> and changes. Your body may go through changes as you grow. But most animals basically start out, or not most animals by numbers, but many of the animals we are familiar with sort of start out as a smaller version of its adult self. But this is not true of insects. They can go through, mm-hmm. obviously we have things that start out as larvae and then metamorphize into adults like caterpillars. But there are insects that will go through many stages of nymphs and instars before they reach their fully mature version. And they can look ridiculously different. Like if you've <laughs> ever seen a nymph of a ladybug, it's freaky looking. It's spiky. It's scary looking. It's not <laughs> cute at all. Not cute. And then it metamorphosizes. Metamorphoses, I cannot say it. <laughs> Damn you, Kafka. It's a Kafka-esque nightmare. That they go through metamorphosis into a beautiful adult. But uh, so when I see a Pokemon that is a bug type Pokemon, I'm like, yeah, this this is accurate. This tracks because it has these very different evolutions. Yeah. A lot of times people like propose changes to like Pokemon's evolution line based on like, well, I think this Pokemon actually looks more like it should evolve into this other Pokemon because the the first stage looks more like the third stage. And while I get what they're going for, because it looks like a more gradual transition in the real world, that's not, you know, you can have a, a larval form of an animal that looks nothing like its adult form. Um, yeah. which really plays out in Flygon because I will admit, you know, for most of my life, I don't live in a place where the real life Flygon lives. So I did not know <laughs> that it was based on a real animal. So I'm looking at this evolutionary line from they're called Trapinch to Vibrava to Flygon. And mm-hmm. Trapinch is definitely the odd one out here. Trapinch looks nothing like its later evolutions. Yeah, looks like a little bug turtle. It does. So Vibriva and Flygon have these big wings. They have long, thin bodies. They look more more insect-like, um, but they look like dragons. They look more like desert dragons. We got the, the middle stage that looks kind of like a fly with uh, diamonds for wings, like diamond-shaped yeah. wings and a diamond-shaped tail. It kind of looks like, it actually looks sort of like a mayfly's larval stage yeah. with wings. And then the adult version looks like a little dragon 
Uh, but with big bug eyes, um, yeah, and then like the uh, other and diamond shaped, big diamond shaped wings, and a, and a big tail, and then the yeah. but the babyest version, the most baby of them, looks like a weird trap little bug bug turtle. Yes, yeah. So trap inch, you know, just kind of looks. I, I always thought that it looked like it's head looks kind of like a crab claw yeah you know like it, it has these big bear trap jaws that are like, yeah. with this big round head so i always as a kid i feel like i really thought it was like a crab and mm-hmm. it was so so confusing to me because i was like this doesn't it doesn't look anything like what it evolves into what it grows up into so i really did not understand what this evolution line was all about but it wasn't until like adulthood when i started to learn what more animals were um, that I found out that Flygon is based on the real life antlion. Um, oh. I did not know what antlions were until very recently. Oh my because God, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Um, so as a you know, antlions are insects that live in dry, arid regions, which is not where I live. I live in Florida, which is the opposite of a dry and arid region. <laughs> So we don't have those where so I live. So wet, but... mushy region, Florida. Yeah. Instead of dry lions. I think the so... biome is called wet and mushy. <laughs> it's called yucky. Um, <laughs> but so uh, if you, like me, are new to antlions and did not grow up with them, uh, they, as an adult, they look kind of like a damselfly uh, mm-hmm. or a, dra- a dragonfly. I think they look like dragonflies. But if you mm-hmm. know what damselflies are, they look like those two. So it's a long, skinny body with two pairs of large wings. Um, they're not related. Antlions are not related to damselflies or dragonflies. It's just a coincidence of convergent evolution. Yeah. Like you were talking about. Um, there are over 2,000 species of antlions. Uh, so there's lots of different types of them, including over 100 of them that live in North America. But lots of them live elsewhere, like in um, Africa or the Middle East. I think there might be some in Asia, probably. Um, but there's lots of different types of antlions. But you can find a lot of them right here in North America, where I live, just not in Florida. So Trapinch, being the baby form of Flygon, is based on the larval form of antlions, which are probably the form that most people are familiar with. Because mm-hmm. antlion larvae have massive, jagged, sickle-shaped jaws. And they hold their jaws open like a bear trap at the bottom of a funnel-shaped pit that they dig in the sand by burrowing backwards in a spiral. And when they do this, it's really funny because they're kind of wiggling their butt backwards. They're like twerking in a giant spiral, <laughs> like backwards to to dig this little cone-shaped um burrow yeah so they wait at the bottom of the burrow with their jaws open you know that's how you got to get comfortable on the couch get that little you gotta form your little indentation yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the the reason they do this is so that ants who are just crawling around on the sand none the wiser they fall down the slope into the funnel that they've created Mm -hmm. and then once they hit the bottom the ant lion snaps its jaws shut and eats the ant so kind of Scary. a diabolical yeah. situation. I think this is like the uh, inspiration for like the Sarlacc from Star yeah. Wars, which was in turn, I believe, inspired by Dune. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I unfortunately I have not seen Dune yet, but it's, you see this in a lot of sci-fi. There's a lot of worm-like snappy tunneling creatures that, that, that have this theme, like the, the Babbitt, uh, 
worm. Oh, yeah, the bobbit uh, worm. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got those pincers just like the antlion. It's a lot longer, mm-hmm. a lot longer of a thing. <laughs> Big uh, boy. And then it, yeah. And then it pops out of there, grabs a fish, and pulls it in there. It's horrifying. But yeah, yeah. these antlions, you know, it's interesting because when I was a kid, I played a very different game that involved the antlion, <laughs> and that was, I think it was just called Ant Sim or Sim Ant. Mm. might have been called Sim Ant. And it was an ant simulator, and you went around <laughs> as an ant and basically, you were trying to, because you were an ant, it was all about the success of the colony, not necessarily one individual ant, which took me a while mm-hmm. to learn because I would keep going around as one ant and I kept dying. And I was like, well, <laughs> I keep dying. And then it's like, oh, no, I can switch to be other ants. And mm. and because it's about the success of the co- ant colony. And one of your nemesises, nemesi, nemeses, <laughs> nemeses. was... Uh, an ant lion and you would walk if you accidentally walked over you had to pay very careful attention to the ground because if you if you got too close to something that looked like kind of this little indentation you would get snapped up and that was bad oh, wow it made me sad that's incredible <laughs> that is such an interesting like mechanic for a video game <laughs> <laughs> So when you were saying that, like, you used to play, uh, so I, I I didn't think that you were going to say video game. I thought you were going to talk about, like, actually playing with antlion larvae because, oh. like, <laughs> no. if you if you kind of, like, look around, a lot, of, I guess a lot of kids like to play with antlion larvae. They like to, like, drop little bugs into their pits. And oh, my. Just, like, <laughs> That's I, I guess if you, if you kind of just, like, touch the sides of their funnel then they'll snap their jaws shut because I think they're de- de- they're like detecting the vibrations in the sand. So you <laughs> can just make like it a little sandwich. It. Yeah, like like give it a little something for its troubles. I'm sure that's energetically expensive to snap their jaws shut like that. But um, it, so while they're when they're digging their traps, they leave these little trails in the sand that make these little designs, uh, which has earned them the nickname of Doodlebug in North America. <laughs> so some people in North oh. America call them Doodlebugs. Which I yeah. think is like way too cute of a nickname for such a horrifying looking little critter. Like it does not look, if you just look at a picture of one, you do not look like something you would call a doodle bug. That seems very benign of a name for for this sinister looking creature. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's They are quite sinister and then they kind of evolve into something more elegant and, and pretty yeah. like a, a dragonfly. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard so, of a threadwing ant lion? I don't think so. They are weirdos. So they are, it's just kind of like the uh, same situation as the other ant lions. Um, they evolve into something that looks like a cross between a dragonfly and a butterfly. It's quite beautiful. But they start out okay. life like, like the ant lion, creepy body, creepy pincer head, but just take that head and put it on a long stick. <laughs> like they have this bizarre giraffe head and okay. uh, it's Love just it. the weirdest looking thing. Uh, it's like kind of scary when you think about it's pincer head and all these things. But then the fact it's got this long like stick neck, it makes it kind of more goofy than it is scary. It reminds me of those things that you can get that's like yeah 
Sorry, like, I know what like you're going to say. The but grabbers. Have, like a T-Rex head on a yes. long yes. thing that you pull the trigger and it closes yes. the jaws. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, agree. 100% agree. <laughs> I'm so glad that they have been like, yeah, I'm actually going to do that with my body. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just like, I can't reach. Well, I don't want to do. Just just zoop. Get a longer (laughs) neck. Yeah. That's really funny. It's like, I Um, feel like the next time my taller husband puts something up high that I can't reach, I'm like, well, I've got a trick and just stretch my neck out like two feet up. Uh, just extend yeah. go-go gadget neck. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. So if you if you catch a trap inch in uh so the trap inch is like based on the, the, the larva, not the full grown form. Um if you catch it in Pokemon Ruby, its Pokedex entry says Trap Inch's nest is is a sloped bowl-like pit dug in the sand. Hey. This Pokemon patiently waits for prey to tumble down the pit. Its giant jaws have enough strength to crush even boulders. Wow. Um, yeah. So Trapinch is a little bit more serious than a, uh, more. a doodlebug. You don't yeah, want to stick your a... finger in that hole. <laughs> yeah, and that—that I mean, every... that is the saying of this podcast. You don't want to stick your <laughs> finger into strange holes. Don't make sure that you're uh, super familiar with the hole you're about to stick your finger into. Yes. <laughs> um. Is Pokemon like Pokedex entries are always so over the top like this. Like like it has the strength to crush boulders or with Garchomp, <laughs> it's like it's as fast as a jet plane. You know, like the, every Pokemon will it'll be like something the size of a house cat and they'll be like, It can crush a mountain. Like they have the most like they're over the top all the time. Um, it can be also but... over the top, dra- like uh, dramatic. Like Cubone is this adorable little dinosaur with like a skull yeah. on its head, and it's like this was its mother's skull that it wears on its head mm-hmm. to help it sleep at night as it cries. It's like okay, Pokemon. Oh yeah, calm There's down. Some ghost type Pokemon. There are some ghost type Pokemon where like. <laughs> The Pokedex entry will be like, yeah, this is a ghost of a person who died. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is, game, this is a game played by kids around the globe. Thanks, Mr. Yeah, they Mario. Can be a little extra. Um, but so, you know, I, I, I like to think about how like the real world biology of the animal plays out in the game itself. Um, and there is an interesting way that this plays out for Trap Inch. Um, the antlions spend most of their life in their lar- larval stage. So you're probably more familiar with the larval stage because that's how they spend most of their life. Once they assume their adult form where they have wings and look like a dragonfly, they only live like that for about a month. And during that time, oh, they it's longer than I would have expected of... actually. Cause sometimes yeah. some of those adult stages can last for like 24 hours. Yeah. You're really on the, the clock is ticking for you yeah. at that point, but they can survive off of nectar and pollen while they're in their adult form. So they okay. have like a little bit of time. They got about a month. Um, but I think that that like lengthy larval stage is referenced in trap inches life cycle in the game. It doesn't evolve. So like it takes the next form until level 35, which is wow. pretty far above average for the yeah. first of a three stage evolution line. Um, I checked Bulbapedia, and Bulbapedia says that the average, uh, the average level for the first stage of a three-stage evolution is about twenty-three. So it's twelve levels higher than the average. Um, so it does take quite a while to train a trap inch up all the way into a flygon. 
So I think that's like an interesting nod to like the real antlion's life cycle. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to stay a baby for most of its life. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it when they just like incorporate that into the game mechanics. Yeah, the the next the last Pokemon I have to talk about, there's a very interesting way that ecology plays into the game. Um, I I really can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. So uh, I'm going to take a break to scream in excitement, which you guys don't want to hear. And then we'll be right. (laughs) And then we'll be right back. (gasps) (laughs) I can't scream. I have a baby in the other room. I'm screaming in my heart. What's that thing from like that Japanese please. ride where it's like, please scream inside your please heart? Scream inside your heart. Thank you. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So tell me about the Pokemon. Okay, I, for my grand finale, I have a really interesting Pokemon that is actually a new one. Um... This is a poison and water type Pokemon introduced in Gen 7, which were Sun and Moon. These were actually like somewhat recent games. These Pokemon are called Marini and Toxapex. Um, I dropped a couple of pictures of them for you. (laughs) I like this. They are such like almost silly looking Pokemon, but in a very interesting way. They're like endearing, I think. So these Pokemon both have these thick spiky tentacles that sprout out from their heads so in marini which is like the baby version they resemble hair i think they look like medusa if she had Mm -hmm. like thorny tentacles instead of snakes for her hair 
Um, and then in Toxapex, they form a dome around the Pokemon's body, and the Pokemon's actual body is like really, really small. It's like a small yeah. body suspended inside of a dome made out of spiky tentacles. It looks like an umbrella, but with like flaps yeah. that can move around, like a, a cross between an umbrella and like a peeled banana. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I see that. But with spikes. Uh, and a little angry dude in in the middle of it inside. Oh yeah, he looks all mad. He's got jagged teeth. Uh, Toxapex <laughs> is kind of silly looking inside of his little dome. But the reason for this is that both of these Pokemon's designs are based on the real life Crown of Thorns starfish. <gasps> yes, love this creature. Um, well, I mean, love him when he's doing the right thing. <laughs> so the crown of thorns starfish, like their Pokemon counterparts have many arms. They can have up to 21 arms. Yeah. Um, starfish don't only have, don't only come in that like five raid form. Right. That I think is the most common that you'll see. They could have tons of arms. Um, you know, they can come in so many different shapes and sizes, but the crown of thorns starfish has up to 21 max, I think is the highest number ever recorded um and then all of those arms that they have are covered in venomous spikes which is why marini Yay! and toxapex are part poison type um so you can see that like play out in the pokemon so for the crown of thorns starfish the venomous spikes protect it from predators makes it really difficult for things to chomp them up yeah i feel like but i like to eat seafood that has fewer venomous spikes than the ones these guys have <laughs> Fewer, not none, but fewer. Right. Uh, just a little less. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, you got to keep a few in there to like make it a little spicy. Yeah. Well, that's how it's, it's a canopy. Flavor. You can pick it up by the spikes, but this this is just. <laughs> yeah, they are really not an inviting meal, um, but they no. themselves are predators. And yeah. what they prey on is coral polyps. Um, I don't know if you've talked about coral a whole oh, lot on I this have. podcast. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I do the sort of massive mating sex events of coral, some of the biggest mm -hmm. mass mating events where it's just just non -stop. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, morally the, depraved. <laughs> the the polyps of that that coral are indeed living creatures and in their larval stage will settle down on a reef and eventually grow into the weird mineral-like uh, organisms that we know, but yeah, they do not—they do not start out life as sessile, as sedentary. They start out life moving around and trying to find a place. Yeah, so um, that is the the coral polyps are absolutely the bread and butter for the star, the crown of thorns starfish. That's their favorite meal. And they do this in a really gross way. Like, they eat the coral. This is kind of like how starfish eat, but I think it's nasty, and some kids might find it interesting. So <laughs> they eat by puking their guts out, mm -hmm. literally. So they take their insides and make them outsides by just, like, vomiting their guts out through the middle of their body through, uh, I believe the technical term is their mouth butt. Um, I think mouth that's butt. like the scientific term is their mouth butt. That um, sounds right. Because they just have the, it's just the one hole, right, for everything. Um, going in, coming out, it's just, just the one central <laughs> sort of portal to yeah. the inside of the starfish. The so all-purpose utility hole. Yeah, it's just the one hole. So yeah. they uh, invert their insides out through this hole, and then they wrap their guts around the coral 
and digest the tissue around their skeleton and eat them like that. When you see a piece of dead coral, you may, it may feel like this sort of hard, rocky thing with all these little like divots in it. Um, but when that coral is alive, each of those divots is going to hold a little polyp. And these little polyps kind of, it's like like little tiny sea anemone. I mean, like some coral can actually grow to be bigger. So the polyps are visible and, and larger and more flower-like. But for some of these coral, like it just looks like sort of fuzz. But that fuzz is made up of all these individual little polyps that look like these little teeny tiny trees but the, or, or anemones, but they are alive. Uh, and so when they do get puked yeah. on uh, by the starfish, they do, that does kill the polyps. Straight up not having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and and there is a Pokemon based on coral. It is mm. called Corsola. It was mm. introduced in the second generation. So it's actually been around for a long time. Um, and this plays out in a very interesting way in the games in which Marini and Toxapex were introduced. Um, so in the Sun and Moon games, there is this mechanic called an SOS battle, where if you're in a battle with a wild Pokemon and the wild Pokemon has been injured and is running low on health, it may call for help from an ally. So it may, you know, call in a buddy to join its team and fight against you. So if you're in a battle with a wild Corsola, which is the coral Pokemon, it may call for help from an ally which could summon another Corsola, which would then join the battle against you, the player. Hmm. Or sometimes it may alert, instead of a of an ally Corsola, it alerts a Marini, which joins mm. the battle, but it attacks Corsola uh -oh. instead of attacking you. Ah. I think that if you attack the Marini, then it will then like attack you in retaliation. But... Until you attack it, it will attack Corsola instead. I so see. that is, as far as I know, the only like Pokemon interaction in which an SOS battle will like call a hostile Pokemon. Hmm. Um, but just, I think that is just absolutely such an interesting little like nod to ecology in the game. Yeah. Where like, yeah. Cors oh no, Corsola is in trouble. Oh, come help me another Corsola. And then a Marini is like, oh, that's my prey. I'm going to join this battle. Which like, I love uh, because so that's one of the risks in the animal kingdom. Of course, not not necessarily with coral because they don't uh, they don't call to each other necessarily. But like the like when you have an animal who has a call to its conspecifics, that is other members of its own species, it does risk telling a predator, "Hey, I'm over here." Yeah. So, and and I just think it's like an interesting way to help people like learn ecology like oh yeah. now i know that like starfish eat coral because i played the game and i saw it happen you know like uh, i think that's one of the coolest things they did in that game <laughs> i love that i love that so yeah. much yeah and and this there's one other way that marini and toxapex in the game mirror like real life crown of thorns starfish and that is that they can have a passive hidden ability and that's called Regenerator. Ah, and it restores mm -hmm. some of the... So in the game, it restores some of their health when they're switched out of battle. Uh, and this is a reference to the Crown of Thorns starfish's ability to regenerate its own limbs. 
Um, yeah. It's not as easy in real life. <laughs> it takes <laughs> a while. Yeah, it takes around six months for Sometimes the Sometimes you have sort of this weird baby short limb in the meantime. Yeah, <laughs> a little nub, uh, like in the Deadpool movie, um, mm-hmm. where it's like growing the <laughs> limb back and it's like tiny for a while. Uh-huh. Um, but I saw that in some rare cases, they have actually bounced back from being cut in half. Yes. You can cut the whole starfish in half and they just grow a new starfish. So yeah. um, in this, this has caused some problems <laughs> in the situation in which okay so in in normal healthy numbers crown of thorns starfish play a really important role in regulating the population of coral to make way for new growth yeah um so it's important to have them around in normal numbers but in some cases the starfish's population can boom and you yeah. have way too many crown of thorns starfish um, so this could result from things like overfishing of their predators, like the giant triton is a fish that mm-hmm. eats them a lot. So if you overfish the triton, they have fewer predators, there's more starfish. But it can also happen from an excess of nutrients in the water. So farmland yes. can run off into the water and then starfish larvae are like, ooh, delicious, yes, lots of nutrients in the water. So then you have more starfish making it into adulthood. Or it could be weakened currents. Like if currents change and currents are weaker, they're not yep. pushing the larva around, and then starfish larvae get concentrated in a small area. So all of these factors kind of play into these outbreaks of crown of thorns starfish, which can actually, which can just completely devastate a coral reef. I I saw a stat that said they could strip away up to ninety percent of the living coral tissue Oof. on a reef. Yeah. So um, big problem, and then. You know, I, I was reading about how some people have tried to tackle this crown of thorns starfish outbreak. And one of the things that did not work was trying to cut the starfish in half. Yeah. Um, they tried to cut them in half to kill them, and that just made more of them. So don't try yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a the Hydra situation, you know, where you're like, well, mm-hmm. I'll chop off this head and then two more grow. And you're like, all right, I'll chop off those heads. And then at a certain point, yeah. you're like, Hercules. My dude, my poor dummy, my himbo, <laughs> you got to stop chopping off heads. He really Laid was the, himbo the original blueprint. himbo, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. He set the blueprint. He did. The lovable himbo. <laughs> so so I, don't pull a Hercules and don't cut starfish in half. Please you'll don't. Just have a yes. <laughs> and take care of the environment. It's, it's delicate. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually a big theme in like in more recent Pokemon games. Oh, that's there great. There have been some major like ecology like environmentalist themes in the narratives of more recent games like gen 7 and 8 um like they really went in they even like i i didn't compile notes on this but there are like conflicts between like invasive species because sun and moon games were like kind of based on hawaii so you see this problem of like invasive species hunting native species and then like there's like diverse like pokemon have different forms based on like where they're where they're born. It's, it's so interesting. Like more recent games have gotten so creative and incorporated so many interesting themes of like real life zoology that is just fascinating. If you really yeah. like zoology, I feel like it could go either way. Like z- having a passion for zoology could get you really into Pokemon or having a passion for Pokemon could get you really into zoology. I feel like right. there's just a lot of 
Pokemon is there. a gateway drug for zoology, and zoology is a gateway drug for Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon is like how biologists like set up a candy van outside of a school <laughs> where they're like, "Hey, kid, hey, you want to check wanna out some play Pokemon?" Some Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, when you get close, they kidnap you and take you to a biology uh, they school. They teach you knowledge. <laughs> like some kind of so, sick freak. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I feel like a, a, a childhood spent playing Pokemon played an important role in my development for a passion uh, in zoology. And, yeah. you know, this just, these, I feel like these are just some examples of like, what you can actually learn from Pokemon. Yeah. No, I love that. And I feel this is kind of a coincidence or kismet, but an an animal that I want to nominate as a Pokemon is another marine animal, and it is the conch or or conch or uh, sea snail. So you may only know the conch for its beautiful shell, or I guess Lord of the Flies, or I guess that one episode of SpongeBob. Uh, <laughs> where they have the talking magical talking conch shell. Um, but or yeah. if you like, if you have a decorative shell, it's probably yeah. a conch shell, right? Yeah, you've seen it. Um, so the shell is very pretty, uh, but in the ocean, it has live animals in it. So conches are shells of a variety of large sea snails. So the queen conch has that pretty pink and cream shell that is so famous, but there are many species of sea snails that have these that are called, you know, conch uh, conches. So uh, sadly, because of those pretty shells and also because their meat is, I guess, apparently delicious, uh, they are often <laughs> fished and harvested to sell. So um, the problem with taking these animals out of the environment is one, you know, anytime you hunt or fish something, if you do it to excess, then you can depopulate them. And also these conches are very important uh, in their environment. So they provide a home for a lot of different marine life. So there are, I mean, it's obviously the shell is its own home that the sea snail grew all by itself. Um, but it also is a home for other animals like porcelain crabs, slipper snails, and cardinal fish who will cohabitate with the sea snail while it's still alive. And this is a commensal relationship because they neither hurt nor really help the snail. So they're just kind of couch surfing. Uh, they don't pay <laughs> rent, but you also don't really notice them. So. But they also buy their own food, so it's not that big a deal. <laughs> they're not stealing your resources, you know, not stealing anything, uh, but they're just kind of couch surfing, and they clean up after themselves. Um, Love that. Yeah, and then after the conch dies, uh, the, the snail inside of this shell dies, their shells can be used by hermit crabs. Even the larger species of conches can be used by giant hermit crabs. So these shells, while they may look very pretty, above your mantle or something, they are actually really important to the environment. So while it doesn't necessarily hurt like when one person takes a shell, obviously once you have a whole industry and it's, they, these are being collected for their shells and being bought and sold and, you know, that presents a problem. And so uh, even though the queen conch, uh, the, that one with that really pretty pink shell, it's not 
necessarily endangered globally speaking, but in certain areas it is. So that's important. It's significant because when an animal is starting to be threatened in a specific location, that can cause that whole small ecosystem in that area to have problems. So even if it has no, like the conch, it's not going to go extinct necessarily because it's got many different populations. But if that population, uh, you know, goes extinct, then then all these benefits that it provides to other animals in that area, either as shelter or as food, uh, is suddenly lacking. And so other animals in that area may uh, run into problems. Their populations may even be threatened. Um, So these are very important animals, but that's not even why I'm nominating it as a Pokemon. It's because it is so goofy looking. It looks like a cartoon, (laughs) It's It's the eyes. (laughs) It's the eyes. It's the googly eyes. So these shells have been so long in sort of our consciousness as just these decorative things. You don't even think of it as having a live animal in it, let alone one with like cartoonish googly Pixar eyes. So they have two eyeballs on long eye stalks and the eyeballs have pupils and colored irises, which make them look like, you know, Pixar eyeballs. Yeah, they look kind of human, like cartoons. Which is not something that feels, it it feels a little unsettling seeing it come from like a snail with human eyeballs. (laughs) It's a little uncanny, but I think they kind of pull it off a little bit because like it's so goofy looking. It looks like if you kind of shook it around, which please don't do, but it looks like it would make sort of rattling sound like as these eyeballs bonk around. Yeah, but, uh, you know, just the most, the cutest, like Gary from SpongeBob, but in real life and sort of different anatomy. So these eye stalks are pretty interesting themselves. They have a little sensory tentacle on them below each eye. Um, It also has a long proboscis between the eye stalks where the mouth is located. So we're all about those weird proboscises on the show today, like the Matamata turtle love that had that. Proboscis. Yeah, I love a proboscis. Uh, and uh, so they will use this weird long mouth to eat green algae mostly. Um, so you can often see these googly eyes just kind of peeking out of the conch shell or even like the whole proboscis eye stock combination kind of poking out. I highly encourage you to look at images of it. I have included those in the show notes doc, and you can just Google conch plus eyeballs, and you will find <laughs> so many great results. So uh, it has—it's pretty cute. I will give yes. that. I'll give it that. It's pretty cute. I'd give it a kiss. I mean, I wouldn't. And the, but the fact you know, that they're like the fact that they look like they're kind of peeking around the corner. Yeah, that's why it's cute. Because that it is, looks like it's just like, yeah, like shyly peeking. <laughs> yeah, just kind of peeking out of their shell, not too sure if they're going to come out, just scoping out the area. Uh, but yeah, it's its overall anatomy is kind of weird. So it's got a foot, as snails do, so that, that foot is that flat base of the snail. And on the back end of the foot, they have a claw called the operculum, which... Uh, in terrestrial snails, that is flat and hard. 
and that is used as a trap door to close up the entrance of the snail shell, and this helps seal in moisture because land snails still needs they still need moisture to be able to breathe and function. But uh, when conditions dry out, they can just kind of close this little door on themselves and then keep that inside. But in the conch snails, it is actually not flat. It is talon-like. It looks like a big claw. And despite it looking like a claw, it's actually not used aggressively. It is used for locomotion for this conch to move around. So it digs the talon into the sand and that anchors the snail so it can basically thrust the rest of itself forward. So it's basically pole vaulting around every time it walks. Okay. So, Sounds like a grappling hook sort of thing. Yeah, like a grappling hook, but backwards because it's like it puts it behind it and then uses it to throw itself forward, like backwards ice pick climbing, which sounds very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> like a like ski poles. Don't you use yeah. like, poles for going skiing? I live in Florida. I'm sorry. I don't know ski terminology. <laughs> yeah, the no, little you poles use... you use to push yourself in the yeah, snow? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that that's that's right. Um, that's how, that's how skiing does it. Um, oh, good. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're like me holding them awkwardly as you, as you whimper softly going down a bunny slope. <laughs> it's thought that they do this really weird locomotion to make it harder for the conch to be tracked by prey because they're not leaving like a trail. They might be leaving weird like indentations, but they're not leaving like a chemical trail of slime or goo or anything. So it's. They're untrackable, like the Jason Bourne of weird, goofy animals. You know snails are known for being super stealthy. (laughs) Especially this one just thumping its way through the sand, pole vaulting around. (laughs) So unlike uh, many other snails, uh, conchas are actually gonochoristic, meaning that they are either female or male In contrast, a lot of snails are hermaphroditic, meaning that each individual is both male and female at the same time. It's a little different there. And the penis of the male conch is this weird little tentacle with a leaf-like protrusion on the end. So, you know, just strange. Interesting. (laughs) All around, (laughs) top to bottom. It's a weird guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And while I was talking about the queen conches earlier, this general anatomy is also true of other species of conch snails uh, who also have the lovely little googly eyes and weird long snouts. They're all very adorable looking and they all have very different beautiful, sh- beautiful shells, which I think uh, kind of gives you a lot of material to work with for a Pokemon because you can have a shiny version, different versions of oh, yeah. these lovely, lovely Pokemons. Uh, and they could also host like smaller Pokemon inside their shells because that happens in nature oh, too. Yeah. You know, you could summon a Pokemon from inside of its <laughs> shell, some kind of crab-like Pokemon. Yeah, maybe it would have a mega evolution where something else pops out and like yeah. now you've got two Pokemon. <laughs> exactly. And it also it comes with its own Pokeball. 
Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right, it does. Can you imagine <laughs> just throwing a conch shell into battle? Like, <laughs> I choose you. <laughs> Peeks uh, its little eyeballs out and it's like, nah, no thank you. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I will. even though its claw is not really used aggressively, it's used for moving around. I don't see why it couldn't use it to like slap around Pikachu, you know what I mean? There's certainly potential there. There's potential. I know that like, especially because like when you're designing a Pokemon, you're already taking some artistic liberties with like actual animal anatomy. So mm-hmm. you might as well just give it like a giant combat claw. Like it's yeah. right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But I do feel like this, if if you were to make a Pokemon out of a conch. I feel like it would be more of it would play more of a tank role in the team where it would probably be like very high defense, very low speed. It's more for like taking like it's more for like absorbing damage and like mm-hmm. taking a lot of hits, right? Cuz I I feel like it would probably be very withdrawn into its shell. Yeah. So I I think it would probably be like a high defense, high HP maybe low attack and low speed. I feel like that yeah. would maybe be the spread you're you're looking at, like the stat spread you're looking at for a conch Pokemon. Yeah, and it could have an attack called like hard stare where it just like pokes its eyeballs <laughs> out of its shell and makes the enemy there feel is... really bad about attacking it. Yeah, there are quite a few like creepy stare-based Pokemon moves. There's mean look, um, which I believe <laughs> prevents you from being able to switch out of battle. I think there's a move called Glare. I don't remember what it does. Is there a move called Stink Eye? (laughs) There might as well be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm already, like, crafting this Pokemon's move set in my head. (laughs) Well, uh, we we cannot rewrite the... We we cannot create a new Pokemon game just yet. um, Because before we go, we have to play a game... Uh, guess who's squawking the mystery animal sound game. So first I will reveal the answer to last week's mystery squawker. So just as a refresher, here was the hint. It may be related to an elephant, but you're in for a surprise when you see who's saying hello. So I will play this sound now. Kind of sounds like a, a peculiar sound, like a little, little, like he's saying hello, but really angrily. It sounds like he's coughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get to take a guess? At yeah, what take was? a guess. Go for it. Was that a Hyrax? Yes, it was. Congratulations, <gasps> wow! Ellen. And also, I did con- it. <laughs> you did. And congratulations to Auntie B. Sarah N and Holgas from Twitter, who also correctly guessed Hyrax. Amazing animal detective work, guys. So this is a rock hyrax. So rock hyraxes may look like overgrown gophers or some kind of cat-sized rodent, but they are actually in the same clade as elephants, woolly mammoths, and manatees. So what's interesting is I actually did get some guesses about manatees, which is a very smart guess because they are also related to elephants and they also make noises but these are the kinds of sounds that manatees make there's also these kinds of sounds all right i think i got enough 
<laughs> weird noises. So they make a bunch of weird noises under the water. They the manatees oh, yeah. music to a Florida girl's ears. <laughs> yes, they communicate in squeaks, chirps, and grunts and farts. So <laughs> not a bad guess at all. But in this case, it was a rock hyrax. So rock hyraxes also have a variety of sounds they make. That barking grunt that we heard that sounded like a cough or some kind of weird angry hello was probably a warning that he's a tough guy and he will not tolerate any nonsense. Another common sound is a shriek they make that sounds very chilling, but it is actually uh, surprisingly innocuous. Sounds kind of like a cross between a blood-curdling scream and air being slowly let out of a balloon. I was thinking it sounds like your tea's ready. <laughs> does a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, but <laughs> this is used by the rock hyrax to communicate with other hyraxes about their location. So a little bit of info about the rock hyrax. They live in rocky regions in Africa and the Middle East. They are herbivores and they can eat plants that are deadly to us like nightshade. They are highly social and can live in colonies as small as five individuals or up to 80 individuals. And there are different species of hyraxes that can live together communally. So there are rock and bush hyraxes, two similar but different species that can coexist in the same colonies. They'll even cuddle with each other. Uh, and cuddling is very important because they actually don't thermoregulate as well as other mammals, and they need the warmth of the sun or other cuddly little hyrax bodies to keep their bodies at a good temperature. So sometimes you'll just have these piles of hyraxes cuddling in the sun. It's adorable. Aww. And a, a little hint that they are indeed related to elephants distantly, but... Uh, they are still in the same clade, is that their front incisors are long and pointy and kind of tusk-like. So you can't see it when their mouths are closed, but when they open their mouths, you see these little tiny tusks. And it it gives you a clue of how they share a common ancestor with elephants. So you grow out those tusks, you give them a longer snoot, bigger feet, stretch out their ears, lose that fur, and maybe gain about six tons, and you got yourself an <laughs> elephant. Baby, you got an elephant going. There you go. And so, yes, so that is the story of the Hyrex. Uh, congratulations, everyone, on their great guesses. So on to this week's mystery animal sound. This bald beauty is found in the forests north of the Amazon River. It's named for its friar-like appearance, but don't confuse them for another monk-like animal because this mystery squawker is not monkeying around. Huh. This that, is a tough that's one. A very weird sound. Um, I don't really have any great guesses. It sounds like a bird to me. Honestly, if you just completely ignoring the clues that you gave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but just based purely on the sound it makes, it sounds to me like a potu. Mm, um, interesting. Like the potu bird, mm -hmm. uh, which does not fit with any of the clues that you gave, tragically. Um, so I don't think that's it, but that is what it sounds like to me, is a potu. <laughs> it is not, 
Uh, I'll tell you that much. That's I guess that's another hint for everyone. It is not a potu. It's not a potu. <laughs> but the answer to this week's mystery animal sound will be resolved in dramatic a dramatic conclusion uh, next Wednesday on the next episode of Creature Feature. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real treat having you on the show. Tell folks where they can hear hear more from you about animals. Of course, yeah. Th- First of all, thank you so much, Katie. This has been so much fun. I, I really <laughs> love y'all's show, so it's been really Aww, delightful to thank get to you. get to actually be on it. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, like you mentioned earlier, our podcast is called Just the Zoo of Us. Uh, sometimes I do episodes with my husband, but sometimes we bring on guests who may be scientists or researchers or zookeepers or people that are experts in animals and what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories being effectiveness ingenuity and aesthetics um if that sounds cool to you come check us out we're on spotify and itunes all the other places that you get your podcasts um we're over on the maximum fun network which you can find at maximumfun.org where you can listen to us and the other maximum fun shows so that's where you can find us Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, if you think you have a guest to the Mystery Animal Sound Game, uh, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram, or creaturefeetpod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. Uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you guys so much. And thank you to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I'm not judging you. I'm not staring at you from the corner of a conch shell. See you next Wednesday. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.